We are going to look at Psalm 11, um, and I'm, I'm actually just going to read um, the first four verses um, of Psalm 11, because um, those are going to be the ones that I'm going to actually focus on as we unpack um, these verses. So um, I'm going to read first from um, the ESV, the English Standard Version, and then I'm going to read it from the Message Version. Um, I, I quite like the Message Version, um, and I just feel like it adds a little something um, to these verses. So first in the ESV, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. In th if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. And in the message... I've already run for dear life straight to the arms of God. So why would I run away now when you say, run to the mountains, the evil bows are bent, the wicked arrows aim to shoot under the cover of darkness at every heart open to God. The bottoms dropped out of the country. Good people don't have a chance. But God hasn't moved to the mountains. His holy address hasn't changed. He's in charge, as always, his eyes taking everything in. So this is a psalm of David. If anyone understood what it meant to know God as refuge, as the one to run to when life was chaotic and messy, um, it was David. If you know anything about the life of David, you know that his life would have been fraught <laughs> with mess and chaos and turmoil and strife. He spent a lot of years running for his life. Um, even once he was king, the relational turmoil he knew with his children um, he came, you know, he was born at a time where Israel was in constant warfare. So there was political unrest. There was unrest in the land. There was, um, you know, he seems like he didn't really get on that well with his brothers. His brothers liked to kind of put him down. And, you know, and, and then with his children, um, so much turmoil in his relationships with his children. Um, so David understood the need for refuge and to find that refuge in God alone. And so what you see David talking about in these verses is that there is no need to look anywhere else for refuge, for security, for safety than in God. Whether it's outer chaos or inner turmoil, God is the place we run to. There's a beautiful quote 
by Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of the famous missionary Jim Elliot, who um, lost his life while ministering um, in South America. And she said, Where does your security lie? Is God your refuge, your hiding place, your stronghold, your shepherd? If he is, you don't need to search any further for security. And I love the verses in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, and it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I just think there's no more beautiful visual of what it means to find our refuge in God. Our lives are hidden in Christ, in God. But I think these verses point to another truth that David had come to understand about God. Um, and it's the truth that our refuge being in God does not always mean running away from the chaos, running away from the turmoil, running to God somewhere out there away from it all. But it means resting in God in the midst of it. These verses say God's address hasn't changed. He's not in the mountains. Everyone's saying, run to the mountains, go there for your security. But he's not there. And if our security's in him, then we go where he is and he hasn't left the mess. He hasn't left the chaos. He's not shaken by it. He's right there in the middle of it. So if we're going to find our refuge in him, it doesn't mean trying to run away from it. It means resting in him. God becomes the eye of the storm. Um, and I think our, our tendency as humans is we, we try to run away. At least that's, that's me. I, I, um, Alex is sitting back there, and she, we talk about this all the time. We're some very similar personalities. And so I tend to try and run from conflict. I, I like peace. I like harmony. I like everyone to be happy with each other. Um, and I just want everything. You know, I'm con every day, I think several times a day, why can't we just get along? Why can't we all just agree to disagree? Why can't we just be kind to each other? It's not that hard, really, because um, I just like peace and harmony. Um, and so when stuff happens, my tendency is to try and run away from it. And I think that does tend to be our tendency as humans oftentimes is to try to run away. And even our prayers, how often do we pray, God, get me out of this situation? And I think more often than not, God doesn't want to get us out of the situation. He wants us to discover what it is to be hidden in him, to be at rest, to be at peace, to be in refuge in him in the midst of that situation. Um, you guys may have heard there's, there's a, a man by the name of Monty Roberts, and he is the original horse whisperer. He created a method of training horses that does not use violence. 
but teaches the horse how to trust and partner with you. And every time I watch one of his videos of him working with a horse, I cry. And um, I think I cry because I feel like it's a beautiful picture of what God tries to do with us. And, um, you know, and so Monty will bring the horse um, that has had very little contact with humans, um, and he will have a rider on that horse's back in half an hour. And with very little objection from the horse. <laughs> um, it's incredible. And so what happens is Monty brings this horse into the arena, and Monty stands in the middle of the arena, and and the horse is, he's in somewhere that's new and unfamiliar, and there's all these people watching, and there's all this noise, and he's nervous, and he doesn't know who Monty is. And, and so he just does this thing where he runs around in a circle, and he goes one way, and then he goes the other, and, and he's distracted and worried and anxious. And Monty just stands in the center, and he speaks the horse's language through his body language. And you watch the horse begin to slow down, you know, and just kind of trot. He stops running, and he just kind of trots around the arena. And you watch first his inner ear turns in towards Monty, while his other ear is still focused on all the people and the noise and the distractions. But then eventually, that outer ear turns in towards Monty as well. And then... He begins to do this, this thing that in horse language means um, that, that he's beginning to acknowledge that Monty might be a friend. And then he drops his head. And when he drops his head, that's his way of saying, I'm a horse. I'm not designed to be a leader. I'm designed to be a follower. This is an unfamiliar place, an unfamiliar situation. Monty, I recognize you as friend, so I can trust you to lead me, to show me what to do. And at that point, when he drops his head, Monty just slightly turns his back to the horse, and the horse will just walk up to him, nuzzle his shoulder, and then Monty will start walking, and that horse will follow him wherever he goes. And I think it's a beautiful picture that when our lives are in chaos, when the world around us is in chaos, and if you're anything like me, you're like that horse. And you're running in circles, and you're trying to figure out what to do, and everything's unfamiliar, and there's all these distractions, and all these noises and voices, and God's just saying, come in. Come in. Come in to me. Draw in to me. Um, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 131, verse 2, that says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In the message, it says, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. So how do we cultivate a quiet heart? How do we know the reality of God is our refuge that isn't just in our heads, but we experience it. We live from it on a daily basis. How do we do that? 
I'm going to read from Richard Foster's book on prayer. He says, For too long we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. And he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. We do not need to be shy. He invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendship where chatter and batter mix in good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength, where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom, where we can learn and grow and stretch. He invites us into the workshop of his creativity, where we can be co-laborers with him. He invites us into the bedroom of his rest, where new peace is found. The key to this home, this heart of God, is prayer. It probably shouldn't be any surprise to you guys that since I work with 24-7 prayer, that I will somehow find a way of turning this into a message about prayer. (laughs) Um, But I really believe this is the key. That if we really want to know refuge, God is our refuge, the key to that place, that entering into the heart of God where our life is hidden in Christ and we know peace, the key is prayer. And I don't mean prayer in the sense of communication, of communicating to God all our concerns and worries and needs and like a bit like that horse. I mean, prayer is communion. Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The message says, You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Prayer that is communion, that in the midst of the chaos, we are connecting with God. Because I think we can approach prayer the same way we approach the rest of life. In Pete Gregg's brand new book, How to Pray, he says this, Prayer can easily become a frenetic extension of the manic way I live too much of my life. Distracted and driven, I step into the courts of the king without modulation without introduction, without slowing my pace or lifting my face to meet his gaze. But the sages teach us that true prayer is not so much something we say, nor something we do. It is something we become. It is not transactional, but relational. And it begins, therefore, with an appropriate awareness of the one to whom we come. 
So the kind of prayer that I'm talking about is something that the church down through the ages for decades would have referred to as centering prayer. Psalm 46, 10, you'll know it well. It talks about be still and know that I am God. In the message version, it says, step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Take a long, loving look at me. Centering prayer is not about trying to get something out of God, but it's coming and just being in his presence. There's a lovely um, quote from this uh, old um, priest um, who he would, he would often be found sitting in the monastery in front of this old painting of Jesus. And um, he, he wouldn't be doing anything. He'd just be sitting there staring on it. And he could be there for two hours just staring at this painting. And finally, one day, someone asked him, what are you doing? Like, go into the chapel and say your prayers. Do, if you're just going to sit and be quiet, at least be useful, you know. And his response was, I look at him, he looks at me, and it is enough. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about here, where we discover God is our refuge. Um, and I'm just going to quickly give you some, some keys, some little steps to what this prayer can be like. Because if you're anything like me, if you're anything like Pete Gregg, you enter into your prayer time the same way you live the rest of life. Anxious, frenetic, so many demands, so much like demanding your attention, and it's easy to get distracted. And so that thought of like actually spending time with God where you're not praying out a list, but you're just being in his presence and letting him speak into your heart can be a bit like, how do you even do that? <laughs> um, and I'm going to give you just some steps that if you want to go back over again, they're in this book. <laughs> um, but it, these steps are, again, it's something that the church has been doing for decades. It's not really anything new. You start by relaxing. Come into a place where you're comfortable. It could be indoors. It could be outdoors. It could be sitting. It could be walking. It could be up a hill. What's key is that you're comfortable, that you're free of the distractions of people and responsibilities. Whether the responsibility is your children knocking at the bathroom door, or whether it is the responsibility of the dishes in the sink, that you're, you're somewhere where that stuff is not pulling at you. Um, and sometimes... Your response needs to be physical. Sometimes it's about holding your hands open in that place because in that place it's not about trying to push down or push aside the distractions with all your strength, just try and forget the distractions, but it's about bringing those in with you to the presence of God. 
and just with open hands saying, here you go, God. Even name them. This is distracting me right now. This is, this, I have to do this in an hour and I'm worried about it. I give this to you. I give that to you. I give this person to you. And I, I love what Pete says. He says, serenity does not always have to be silent, cerebral, solitary, or even static. Stillness can be active. If you are the kind of person that best meets with God taking a walk, take a walk. Don't feel like you have to be holed up somewhere in a corner um, unless that is what works for you. Breathe. Breathe deep, rhythmically. This is biblical. Sometimes I feel like in the church you can talk about breathing deeply in the place of prayer to try and focus, and we get all like, oh, that's quite new agey. No, it's not. It's incredibly biblical. How often through scripture does the Bible talk about the breath of God breathing into us and bringing us life? In the place of prayer, when we are in his presence and we are doing that deep breathing, it's about breathing him in. And then speak, not a list, but a a prayer that the church has been praying for decades called breath prayer. And it's where you just say one simple thing that you can say in a breath and you just repeat it until you begin to focus, you begin to sense God's presence, you begin to sense his peace Years, decades ago, the church would have often prayed this way by saying Maranatha, which means Lord come. Maranatha. St. Francis of Assisi would just simply say, my God and my all, over and over. It might simply be, thank you, Jesus. It might be praying in tongues. The key is don't overthink it. The point is not the words. The point is being with Jesus. The point is focusing on the Father and his presence. And lastly, repeat these steps because you will be distracted. You will lose it halfway through. That's okay. A, a, A French priest and bishop of the 15th and 1600s, Francis de Sales said, if the heart wanders or is distracted, bring it back to the point quite gently and replace it tenderly in its master's presence. And even if you did nothing during the whole of your hour, but bring your heart back and place it again in our Lord's presence, though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour would be very well employed. This isn't, this is a a place of prayer that's not about accomplishing something, but it's about being in God's presence, focusing on him, being reminded of who he is, our perspective being changed in that place so that when we go back out into the chaos and the turmoil, we're able to live from that place of peace, of knowing God as our refuge. 
This is why this is referred to as centering prayer. You could almost refer to it as anchoring prayer. It's what anchors us in our life being hidden with Christ in God. So I'm just going to pray. And and as I pray, maybe you just want to respond quietly in your own heart. Jesus, we thank you for the revelation that is in your word. We thank you for the truth that is in your word. We thank you for the wisdom of the generations down through the ages that we can glean from. And Father, we acknowledge that much like David, our lives are full of turmoil. There is chaos. There is political unrest. There is unrest in the nations around us. And it's easy to be distracted by that and feel anxious. But God, we want to live from that place where our lives are hidden with Christ in you. We want to live from that place where we walk and talk from a place of peace and trust in you. That we can be voices of hope Voices of stability in the chaos around us. That we can be pointing other people to you. So Jesus, this morning, would we hear your call to come home. To draw near to you. To come close to your heart. in that place where we can know deep joy in the midst of grief and pain, where we can know peace in the midst of turmoil and chaos. So would you keep drawing us back to that place, Jesus, and teach us how to live from that place? In Jesus' name, amen.